and welcome to Lily High on Life. We have a very special guest today, Zohar Edelstein. Zohar, welcome to our show. Hi, Lily. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. It's my pleasure. And you really epitomize Lily High on Life in so many ways. You've had so many changes and stops and starts to your life started in Israel and now live in Australia. Yeah, I mean, already nearly 16 years. It goes by so, so fast. Unbelievable, really. And you live in one of the most beautiful parts just outside Sydney. Tell us a little bit about the area you live in because it really is beautiful. I live in the Blue Mountains, which is an hour and a half from Sydney. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful mountain range. And I really remember when I was just landing for the first time in, in Sydney, um, I, I saw this beautiful mountain range. It looked like a brain from above. And it was really, really striking. And years later, I ended up uh, living here. Nothing in my life is really planned. Uh, it kind of evolved and we ended up being here. Um, so, you know, there's... Lots of green, lots of bushwalks. It's beautiful, lovely to live here. And you're married and you have a wonderful husband to enjoy them with as well. A husband and two kids, yeah. And a dog. And um, a wonderful <laughs> family. You've collected those in the 16 years you've been in Australia. Yeah, well, my daughter came very, very quickly. She, she said, right, you guys met. I'm coming in. So it, <laughs> it was, it was uh, you know, I landed in Australia. I met my husband three days after I've landed. Um, in three months, I was pregnant. In 10 months, we were married. Uh, I gave, I uh, immigrated and I gave birth all in the one year when I was 30. So, wow. <laughs> when you met your husband in just three days, did you know he was the one? Uh, it, it was a recognition. It was, uh, it was quite amazing. Before coming to Australia, I traveled in India. I was there for a year and a half. Also, it was only planned six months and it just ended up being longer and longer and longer. Um, my sister moved out to Sydney and I was supposed to uh, leave uh, India. I had one day left on my Indian visa. And my parents uh, came to visit my sister and they said, uh, look, we're going to buy the flight ticket for you if you're going to come. And I said, no way that I'm going to get a visit to Australia in one day. I ended up getting it in one day. From some reason, uh, the, the consul ended up calling me and letting me know that I got the visa, which is really weird. And I landed and three days later, I met my husband. How wonderful. I very much believe in that type of synchronicity in life. When something's bashert, when it's meant to be, it just yeah. is. And it was really and the feeling. It, it was, um, I was actually invited to a party through a friend that I met twice in India, and I knew that she studied here in, in Sydney. So when I arrived, I emailed her and she said, there's a party, you should come. And she organized for me to come. And as soon as I arrived to the party, I literally saw him from across the room. And it was, 
one of the most powerful moments that I had in my life because the feeling was as if my soul went out of my body, went inside him, and it just felt like home, like as if wow. it was myself. And then I came back to me and Ravi and my husband describes exactly the same. And so he was obviously on the same spiritual plane and path. Either that or a spiritual force definitely connected between us. And one of the things that um, I try and get people to realize when listening to Lily High on Life is that when you remain open and you allow things to happen and you say yes to things rather than, oh, no, it's not possible, you can't, um, I'm not going to be able to, you've got to take that negativity straight out of your vocabulary because you're a perfect example of how it just happened for you, but you chose to allow it to happen as well. Indeed, but you know, it's very, very difficult. Uh, what you're saying, uh, that choice, um, which I define it to choose life rather than fear, it's a process because we have so many fears and we are also connected in the one consciousness. We are not just the one person. We are one person, but in fact, our soul is connected to all the souls, not just... Um, Culturally, but, that. but actually uh, as, a, as humanity. And there's a lot of forces, a lot of influences that flow into us. So it could be sometimes that we feel things, that we deal with things that are in a way not ours, but are ours because we are one humanity. So and to be able to other- put the fear aside is not, is not easy. Yes. Well, you know, once you get used to doing it and once it becomes part of who you are and you trust it, it is easy. It doesn't have to be difficult. It's only difficult, as you say, when you're collecting the information, when you are training yourself, when you are becoming more comfortable with it. And the more comfortable you are with it, it becomes not difficult at all. Indeed. It's just a part of who you are. My, um, I'm not, uh, I'm very Jewish, very Zionistic, but not Orthodox at all. But it says that when Moshe went to get the Ten Commandments from Hashem at Mount Sinai, every soul that ever was and ever will be was gathered at the foot of the mountain. So how is that possible? My belief is really what you were saying. It's the souls of everybody that will be in the future were there also. So um, when a child is born, the neshama is put into the child a neshama. That neshama is part of a collective consciousness that, as you say, we are in fact all part of. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. The, the thing that I see from my process and I also see from other people to come to that place that you can really, really trust that spiritual connection. Um, it's not easy. Like, for example, in my family, um, uh, previous generations went through the Holocaust. This is when the faith was, was lost. And but other people found the faith 
in that in those same concentration camps yeah yeah you, i i i believe personally that there were kind of in a way two uh results to what happened in the holocaust i think some people were able to really experience uh, godliness through connection with other inmates uh, through survival through being able to appreciate even the minuscule moments of life like breath like a crumb that of food that came their way and by that they could experience the whole world in a way and the whole of existence the other half was actually so traumatized and they were so not able to um, sustain the horrors that for them it just created a disconnection and that's what happened in my family and in my life it was my time to reconnect now put the transgenerational trauma on top of experiences that we all have in life and each person has, has different experiences in life but all of that can be quite an intense uh, burden to carry and at some point in life when God decides to awaken you you have to start you have to redeem all these energies all this uh, weight all these uh, life experiences even of past generations and that's according to your soul because the more capable you are the more thing God will give you a, a bigger portion to actually handle and transform and redeem for the rest of humanity and that's service work service work you can do in so many ways I absolutely um, agree with your basic concept I also believe and this is where personal choice comes into it as well it's you can certainly see it as something that God gives you at different times. You can also see it as, I don't have to make this hard. Um, the basic tenant of Torah is Torah v'simcha, Torah with joy. And so whether it's from the Torah or whether it's from your life experience, it's the way you choose to look at it. And that choice is in the moment by experience day by day so you can look at it look at all this work and look how heavy it is and look at all of this or you could say oh that's interesting okay that was part of the past I can make changes now as well and it's the it's, it's how you choose to accept it everybody's different as in the way they saw the holocaust inside it or outside of it and then you make those choices without disrespecting anybody that came before you. Absolutely. It's not about disrespect, but, you, you know, like the place of choice, when you make a choice in you, it's out of an intact presence in you. When you have a sense of I am and you have a sense that you can make a choice. People that live with trauma, a lot of them don't have that. And that sense of I, the sense of I am, that sense of the, the presence that inside you that can make a choice, that can look at things from the outside rather than being controlled, is actually a place that you're quite healthy, that you're quite yeah. intact in, yes. in your soul, in your mind, in your, in your psyche. A lot mm -hmm. of people carry, they carry very, very deep traumas 
that for them to come to that place of choice, that's a journey by itself. Absolutely. And that's your personal journey in this world. And your journey is individual and yours and you get to choose what it is. And you've made a lot of different choices. For example, even in your career at the moment, you design jewellery, beautiful jewellery, and you're at a place where not only do are you creative in that, but the world is mirroring back to you the joy that you're getting by increasing the joy. So tell us a little bit about your work and how you got into jewellery at all to start with and some of the wonderful things that have happened in the last um, couple of years or since you decided to take this path. So as I've said before, for me, nothing is planned in life. Uh, things really kind of evolve and, and happen. Um, in Israel, I was actually trained as a scientist. I have a master's in, in environmental microbiology. I've done molecular biology work. So that was my life in Israel. And then I just, as I mentioned before, I went traveling in India. So that kind of opened me up to uh, the subtleties in life and to spirituality. But when I came to Australia and after giving birth to my daughter, this is when something very, very big happen in my life because uh, for me being pregnant is wonderful I love it I feel happy but after giving birth I become very sick so I had postnatal depression uh, with my daughter it lasted uh, a year and it was a very very intense uh, intense process um, were you aware of that it was in fact postnatal depression that you were go were you aware of what it was that you were going through or were you just surprised by your moods and reactions uh i i, I pretty much knew straight away uh, be, because i could feel how intense it was and also i reached out uh, to receive help so i've done counseling straight away and it still took time and the gift in it was that basically uh, it really um, brought me very, very close to spirituality. My daughter is a very, very special soul. I always say that she's kind of like a guiding light that came into my life. And um, through the, the new relationship with her and the struggles that were there in the beginning, it elevated uh, my ability to, um, to bring a special prayer before God. And there was one particular night where I prayed so deeply from, from my soul that a very, very special um, event took place that night where I, I started making a drawing around my name and I started writing in ancient Hebrew, like the story of my life. And I fell asleep and within seven days, the depression lifted. And then I carried on in my life. When I gave birth to my son, it was a whole different ball game. I became very, very sick again. It was much bigger, much vaster. 
and the process was much bigger. Um, through that process, I picked up art. And from the art, from make, uh, I worked on canvases with paints and I would go to Bunnings and pick up wires and I would read a lot of scripture uh, at the time and write poetry. So I was, I was really unwell, but what, what could seem as unwellness, now looking back at it, I know that it was a very deep spiritual cleanse and a very deep of connection. So for people who um, are going through it, they understand what they're going through, but there are people around them that may not understand what it is that the other person's actually experiencing. So uh, let me ask you, how did your husband react and help you since he was also in that spiritual place and more importantly for people who are related or have friends that are going through it what do you feel having gone through it twice is the best way for them to interact with their friends and is can they help in any way it's actually a really, really important question, and thank you for asking it. Um, and it's actually one of the most painful parts of the process, because um, at the time I was surrounded by a lot of friends, family, um, and when I got sick, everyone disappeared, basically. My husband was there. He definitely helped with the kids and, you know, he had to work. And the thing with me is that I gave birth and I was just awake for three months. I was not able to sleep for three months. And it was a real torture and it really scarred me very, very deeply. And then the recovery process was very long as well. Um, until today, my heart is still wounded from the fact that people disappeared. So to answer your question, I think back then there was less awareness to depression and postnatal depression, that's for sure. So I think it's very important to educate yourself and, and to learn so you can at least have some kind of empathy towards people that go through that. And my advice is don't forsake anyone don't leave don't uh, disconnect it can be very challenging it can be very very confronting to be around a, a sick person it can be even any type of sickness not necessarily depression uh, a lot of people with different type of illnesses describe the same thing that people disappear because i think there is an inherent fear in people that they will catch it or they will they don't want to deal with the less and um, sometimes we don't know can you give us perhaps some words that you heard that people who did stay that helped you or because it's like also when someone dies people don't know how to relate to somebody who's just experienced a death they don't know what to say I would say that holding holding giving your hand just holding your hand and just listening listen to what the what the person is saying you don't have to uh, necessarily say anything but people want to be heard and when you actually really sit there 
and you really, really listen, immediately the other person receives the feeling of being heard and loved. Any person that is in any type of suffering, what they want is to be embraced, is to be loved, is to be cherished, is to be cared for. You cannot solve the problem. You can't, you can't make them better. The process will be there for the person, but any drop of love that you can give and another person can give and another person can give, it can be like water. So they just to quench their thirst for love. So even just to sit and hold, to come on a regular basis, even whether it's daily or weekly or whatever, and just know so the person knows that you're there and that just even don't say anything, just even just to hold their hand or hug them. Is is that what you're saying? Yeah, even that. And and it depends on your ability. There are people that it's very hard for them to visit. Then you can send a text uh, with a kind word, with an emoji even. Any type of gesture of love can be so important to someone that is in suffering, that is unwell, because they need to deal with it every day, all day. And... And when I was sick, I I actually had the experience of realizing how suffering can be gone from the world. Because when you surround a person with love, the suffering is there, but it comes to a place of stillness. And because there is so much light and love and care around it, it can just come to rest. So, Zohar, I'm going to because you have this wonderful awareness and this spirituality around you for want of a better word I'm going to dig a little bit deeper with you if you don't mind sure so you're in it because some people I've never really experienced depression I've had moments when I've been but I haven't but I do understand to a certain level so help me understand you've just had a child and you love this child and you have a husband who is your real soulmate and partner so that is such a nurturing relationship thing you have people around you like family who some of whom did stay so you've got no okay so you've got but you have these positive feelings as well for your child and your husband but at the same time you have this like cloud where the way you think is different is it different from the way you want to think or you're not able to get out of that thinking even with the positive things help me understand a little bit so um In our brain, we have uh, biochemical pathways uh, that transmit uh, neurotransmitters. So a part of it is a biochemical. And in some some, uh, conditions, uh, the brain can go into a deep state of trauma which and the brain forms biochemical pathways that secrete uh, um, a lot of uh, like negative neuro- neurotransmitters. 
in my case, um, it took a year to find out that I was very low on zinc and very high on copper. And that's why my neurotransmitters could not form properly. I was just lacking zinc. So, so it was a physical, biological also, thing. Also, one component of it, one component of it. And after a year when I went to a biochemical doctor and she prescribed zinc to me with a few other vitamins, it was like someone flicked a light switch in me. The problem was that... Uh, because I've experienced such a deep lack of sleep, uh, it also brought up a lot of other traumas that happened in my life, in childhood, in, and also it brings up transgenerational trauma from the Holocaust. And that's more the spiritual and soul level component of a, a process that you're going through. It could be categorized as depression, as anxiety. You, you can... You, go, you can go through that in cancer, like a lot of elements are actually spiritual elements because everything is connect, connected, body, soul, and spirit. And this is very much what I've experienced. So because the trauma was so deep, so in, in, in trauma, the brain keeps on firing the same biochemical pathways. And in a way that takes over your thinking, your feeling, and your actions. So although you have a, a, a beautiful baby and a beautiful daughter and a husband, which also, you know, he had to deal with the situation as well. It was very, very difficult for him. For us as a couple, the big trauma was that everyone disappeared. So we found ourselves pretty much alone in it. Um, and it was very, very challenging. My strength is very much in, I have this inner strength that I do not accept um, where I am, and I will always uh, pursue and aspire for a spiritual connection, for connection with God. I will always aspire to overcome a situation that I'm, that I'm in. Say, with saying that, I do not judge any other person that is in this state and is and remains in that state because I have a cousin that she is very, very sick. She's highly intelligent, very connected, really amazing, but she is not able, her brain is not able to recover. Because of that, the, the work on canvases, which later on developed to the jewelry work, when one day I just said to God, look, please help me bring my beauty into the world. And the next day I unraveled a huge canvas that I was working on and I had all these wires in my hand and um, said, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll make myself a necklace. And basically this is how it started. The following day someone saw it and then a friend told me, oh, let's do a market. And within... A year so from I want to go to, into all of that and sort of come out of this. This is uh, this interview has taken a very different direction from what I thought, but I think it's so important, and I'm really appreciative of your honesty and openness because sure. there are so many people that will be helped with this. So just before we go sure. off it, um, your life in terms of friends and family around you that then left you when you became ill, 
Was it that you had a hub that you entertained a lot, that you had people around you from the things you were doing? How is it that people just left? Because that sounds so, it just, I'm just surprised by it. Um, we were actually a part of a spiritual group, um, which they were f- like my family. For me, they were my family. Uh, we also had ex- uh, extended family, but unfortunately, um, we're kind of circling back to your previous question about how to deal with a sick person, is that people found it very, very difficult to, to deal I mean, obviously, my brain was very, very deep, uh, deeply traumatized. So it was not that I was not, uh, I was agitated. I was, you know, I was, um, I was talking a lot what I was feeling. Um, you, you know, it was a very, very difficult time. People found it very hard to be around you. And so not they just necessarily. Not necessarily, because there were different stages. Um, in the beginning, it was like that. When I started sleeping again, obviously, I, I, I was a lot more relaxed. And always, always throughout, because these, these are questions that I even asked my husband. Was I so horrible to be around? Was I, because I was trying to come to terms with, with what happened. And in my path, it's very important for me to forgive. Forgiveness is very, very important. And because I don't have the ability to bear the feeling of this connection. I would do, that's my life's purpose, connection. And um, if I know that there is something that I need to realize, that I need to look at, that I need to transform, I will absolutely work towards that. And it can be even 10 and 15 years work towards forming a connection and that takes a lot a lot of work a lot of uh soul searching a lot of looking a lot of learning a lot of growth so i think there was a component in the beginning it, it was very very hard but always always um i have this ability to speak so uh, vividly and intelligently and um, there were many stages that, you know, my suffering was very much inside me. It was not that I was exuding it uh, <laughs> profusely. Um, but I, I still think that when people know that they're not there, they carry that. And then it's very hard even to come back and reconnect. Right because there's guilt. I think people also don't realize how much um, they meant to me. So they're busy in their life. They're busy in their difficulties. They're busy with their challenges. Yes. I think there's a lot of components to what happened. So I could talk to you about this for another hour and a half because I find it interesting and fascinating and then there's the whole spiritual thing and connection thing and everything as well but let's leave this for now and let's go on to this amazing uh canvas that you found that you created with all these wires and um 
had you made jewellery before? Was it just something that came to you? Let talk a little bit about how you entered this new stage of your life. Um, I'm not a trained jeweler. It's absolutely something that just came to me. Um, as I've mentioned, I was working on canvases as a part of my healing process. Uh, I would read scripture and, every, and when you read scripture, every word, every letter is a state of consciousness. So when you- Let me ask you, because uh, you've mentioned that you read scripture a couple of times. Um, are you Dati? Are you Orthodox? Or you read scripture because it heals you and, and you feel connected? I am not religious. I'm not religious. Um, for me, connecting to reading scripture came as a part of my healing process and a part of absolutely my inner connection with God. And the scripture books came to my life in very particular times and, and like crossroads as if to come and strengthen me and, and lift me. And I just started almost like a, a love story with with the scripture books because I would I would just open it randomly and I would read in the beginning my eyes could not even focus on on the letters with time uh, the light in the scripture book uh, transform, transformed my brain to the point that I could read it and then even receive nourishment messages direct illumination from from the books so when i would read i would literally feel where to start and i would feel where to stop and that would be my nourishment of the day and and the light from the reading would facilitate the inner journey and in a process that i was on where what i was pondering what i was working on and a part of it was also taking a sentence, like a phrase from scripture, like um, love the neighbor as they self or love God with all your hearts and, and do art from that and incorporate the scripture in the art itself. And when I worked with the wires, initially I just picked it up intuitively but later on, I actually opened the scripture book and I realized what I was doing. Because when you work with gold, there's meaning to that. That's a, that's a metal that really embodies the connection with God. When you work with silver, it embodies your yearning to God. So silver is a metal that connects between um, heaven and earth. Um, gold is more the heaven Whereas copper, which was I was highly allergic to, is really just earth, is very gashmi, it's very corporeal. And that's the metal that I was allergic to so, I, to, so I couldn't work with it. So for me, the way that I could transform and find godliness within the allergy is to work with the rose gold. And that's the metal that for me is the middle. That's the metal that for me balances me the most. And that's why my logo is in that color. And, and do, you, um, do you conceptualize and draw the designs or do you start working with it and let it guide you to what it will be? Absolutely. It's all intuitive. My work is always intuitive. 
yes, I, I developed a style uh, over time and there is a meaning to what I do when I work with pearls, I'm working with the soul. When I work with stones, I work also with elements of the body. I created for my last collection when I represented Israel, a series of Judaica pendants. So I designed the Judaica pendant for, from the Zohar book. I designed one which is, says Neshama and one which is Cham Sachai. So for me, these pendants really embodied the, the connection between the soul, Neshama, Cham Sachai, which is how do you bring life? Because my journey is how do I overcome the depression? How do I overcome the transgenerational of, of the Holocaust, of childhood trauma, um, and regain life and find that joy that for you can, can seem so natural, but for me, it was a real, real journey. So how do I embody through my soul and connect to life where the fountain of that light, fountain of that light is through the Zohar book. So that's what I was actually embodying in that collection. Could you just give your um, website uh, to everyone? So, because I've looked at your jewellery and it really is beautiful and um, I need to go back and have another look at that Judaica collection because I'm very drawn to that, to the Judaica stuff that's a bit unusual or different. So what is your website? Uh, ZoharEdelstein.com or Zohar Jewelry, but mainly ZoharEdelstein.com. And I will put it up with the description as well um, when I write about the interview. So thank you. So tell us a little bit about the journey from when you made that first necklace for yourself and then took your jewellery to Paris and now have been in the Sydney Fashion Show Awards. Um, how did, what, tell us a little bit about the journey and how it evolved to now. Um, so. As I said before, it really started from my prayer and asking God to just help me bring my creativity, my, my beauty into the world. And, and the next day I made the first necklace. And pretty much, I think, a year uh, into me working on necklaces and, and jewelry, um, I started working with a really beautiful gallery in Brisbane, which I'm still working with, the Red Hill Gallery. And very quickly after that, uh, I started working uh, with uh, the Rex Livingstone Gallery in Katoomba, which is where uh, I'm the resident jeweler and my studio is there in Katoomba. So very quickly, I started working with gallery, which was quite unusual because it's not simple to work with galleries and get your foot in. Um, two years ago, um, with all the fires here, I lost all my, um, all my stall equipment because at the time I was doing stalls and the fires were on, I lost everything. I was sitting in my studio feeling really sorry for myself and really frustrated. Went on Instagram 
and I saw looking for designers I apply here. I went, oh, okay, I'll apply. And I applied, it was very easy. And I forgot about uh, a few weeks later, I received an email asking if I have um, experience with fashion shows. And I said, nope, but I can learn very quickly. And then in the New Year's Eve in, 2000, in 2020, I received an email saying that I got accepted to do Paris Fashion Week. Wow. Wow. So I still have the video that I'm jumping here in the kitchen from Joy. <laughs> just like being like, oh my God. And... After that, I kind of grounded myself and said, okay, but everything is on fire. I don't know if I will have a house. I don't know what's going on. Like, I can't really work on a collection, on a really big collection for the very first time. Paris Fashion Week, oh my God. I can't do that in 10 weeks. So I emailed them back and uh, explained what was going on. It was the time that the world started hearing about what was going on. And then they said, okay, let's do that in September. And then COVID hit. So until June, it wasn't clear if the, if the show will go ahead. In June, we heard that, yes, they're going ahead. And I had basically three months to create all the collection. And as I explained before, I don't design. When I work on a collection, I start from one piece and then it evolves. And it's like, if you can imagine that you give birth to 10 kids and you have to love all of them and hold all of them and care for all of them. It's pretty much what I do subconsciously with a collection, but it ends up being around 50 to 60 pieces of jewelry because I don't create only a necklace, I create earrings and rings and headpieces. And especially for a runway show, it has to be very, very impressive. So and this is how I got to Paris. And, and do you, um, some of your simpler pieces, do you, or have you looked at having them somebody else manufacture them so that people who love your work can still uh, obtain it and afford it? Well, for example, my Judaica range is very affordable, and there are two options there. Either you 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 buy it where it's a very very simple pendant, or you can buy it with um, my special wire work. So there's a lot of combinations. I also have another range of jewelry, which is ready to wear. It's, it's oh. called the uh, Edelstein jewelry. Uh, I actually made this uh, jewelry range uh, from, from my, my dad that just passed away three months ago. Um, his name was Edelstein and Edelstein actually means a gem in, in, in Germany, in, Germ in German. Wow. So, um, uh, and indeed, actually, six months after I started making the jewelry, I woke up one day from a dream where I remembered that as a child, I wanted to be a jeweler. And I kind of veered away from my dream, became a scientist, but life and my journey absolutely connected me back to my purpose. 
And I have to tell you that being an artist is not easy. There's lots of ups and downs. Uh, you have to be very, very dedicated to, to your purpose and to the love of doing that. Every time when I'm about to give up, something happens that tells me, no, don't give up. And more than anything, when I work on the jewelry, there is an alchemy that happens in the jewelry. So that rewiring, the process of rewiring that I do with the pearls, with the stones, with the metals, absolutely uh, is being touched from forces by above that, that flow through me, through my soul. So just like when an author writes a book, and when you read this book, you can have a very, very special feeling from the book. So it's not only the printed words. Through the words, you actually receive some of the, of the soul and psyche and meaning of the author. And this is exactly what happens in the jewelry. So when you receive this jewelry, you receive not only the jewelry, but a real gift from me. And that's why mostly I make everything. Everything is handmade and everything has my intention in it. I love that. I love it. And the that spiritual side of it is so important. And um, actually most of the jewellery I buy now, I buy from someone in Israel who also works the same way on a spiritual level so that every jewellery, piece of jewellery and every part of it has some history and some meaning behind it. So I appreciate it very much. This has been a wonderful, wonderful talk. I've got about four or five minutes left. I'd love you to talk about your life with your children and your husband in the Blue Mountains, your relationship with the kids and just really joyful, happy stuff to, to close <laughs> this off. So, you know, it's really amazing, uh, this journey from Israel to Australia. Uh, I feel that having the kids here and uh, coming out of Israel really gave me the opportunity to connect actually back to my roots, back to my joy, back to, you know, being an artist. I don't think that I would have been able to do all this transformation if I would have uh, stayed back in Israel. Uh, my connection to Israel is very deep. And so the connection of my family to Israel is very deep. Uh, my daughter, uh, she understands Hebrew. She reads Hebrew. She doesn't speak as much, you know, only a few words, but it's very much there in, in her soul. And also with my son. How and old are they now? My daughter is 15 and my son is 11. They're Wonderful. both really gorgeous. They're very, very different. So my daughter is like this special light and my son is just full of life and quite a rascal. And it can be, you know, a handful to, to handle, but he, he is a free spirit, you know? So my daughter embodies for me the inner connection, the introspection, and my son embodies for me that sense of life and the ability to do and, and experience and, and have fun. And I think um, it's quite wonderful to have um, this versatility in the family 
and have both my husband and, and myself guiding them uh, along their way. We always choose to do it in our special way. And my husband is not Jewish. And for me, it was again, a way to bridge over the, tra the trauma of the Holocaust and, um, and really show and really live the truth that love, uh, uh, love transforms all transgressions. And yeah. I think that that's the message that I would really like to bring to the world. And that's the message of hope because we see what is happening in the world today. Uh, in the mountains, we had fires. We, uh, there were floods in Australia recently. A lot of people are displaced. There's war in the world. There's a lot of illness. We just went through two years of COVID. And there's also a lot of joy in what you create and a lot of joy in your jewelry. Um, Zohar, what was your birth name when you were oh, born? Zohar. Zohar. That's my name. Ooh. Always, always been. How perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. And the so real, my real message is really about just to show that we can really overcome all the difficulties by opening our hearts. We can really overcome everything. And my advice is always look to the eyes of the person that you meet, because in the eyes, this is where the light is. And you, by looking through the eyes, you can really overcome all the behaviors, all the difficulties and all the uh, problems that we have with each other. And love is the real thing. That's the nectar of Amen. love. Amen. Todaraba. This has been a wonderful, delightful time that I've spent with you. And I look forward to many more when you're down in Melbourne again, especially. You must let me know. Toda. Thank you for having me. Okay, we can stop recording. <laughs> <laughs>